I have a technique that I use, which is when I typically work with somebody, when I meet somebody, I want to do a little piece of coaching with them right there and then. And my mandate is that I add value within 20 minutes. So that's my motto. I want to add value within 20 minutes. And I can do that by asking good questions, by bringing them along some path, by, you know, sort of helping them with a little nugget of something, of coaching. I call it a little nugget of coaching. We can't solve world peace, but we can sort of bring you a step forward towards something meaningful to you. Hi, I'm Alex Pascal, CEO of Coaching.com, and this is Coaches on Zoom Drinking Coffee. My guest today is an executive coach who has worked with C-suite executives at prominent startups and Fortune 500 companies. She is the author of From Startup to Grown Up, which won the 2022 Independent Press Award, and she was named the top startup coach in the world at the Thinkers 50 Marshall Goldsmith Global Coaches Award. Please welcome Alisa Cohn. Hi, Alisa. Hi, Alex. So good to be here. It is so good to have you. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. Me too. Let's start where we always start on coaches on Zoom drinking coffee. We don't always drink coffee, but we share a drink and it's always fun. So what are we drinking today, Alisa? Thanks for asking. We are drinking sparkling water. We're keeping it simple, but we're keeping it fancy. And Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Love it. When you said we're going to share a drink, I was like, absolutely. And it's two o'clock in the afternoon where I am. So it's past coffee time. I do drink coffee in the morning. But Alex, I'm an athlete. So what I need to think about all the time is staying hydrated. Mm -hmm. So sparkling water is my fancy, fizzy drink of choice. I love it. I love Pellegrino. I drink one every day. I have these little ones that I bought the other day, the little Pellegrino bottle. I love glass too. So these are my go-to and I feel like it's the perfect amount. Sometimes I have two, you know. Sometimes you go crazy and have two. What the hell? Live a little. Yeah, you got to live a little, little. you know. (laughs) But I agree with caffeine after two. It's not a good thing. Lately, I've been doing more matcha than coffee. And Mm -hmm. I just like the whisk. And it's just like a nice little grounding way to start your day, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am so thrilled to have you on the podcast today because you work at the intersection of coaching and startup world and startup life. And, you know, it's been my world for the past over a decade now. So it is so interesting how those converge and you've been named the top startup coach in the world by Thinkers 15 Marshall Goldsmith. So it is great to have the top startup coach in the world joining us today. So to get us started, let's go back to the origin story of your career. How did you end up becoming the top startup coach? And where did the journey begin? (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Before I was the top startup coach in the world, I was a little baby coach, of course, like all of us. (laughs) And before that, I was actually uh, a CPA. I was at PricewaterhouseCoopers. And the way I found myself to PricewaterhouseCoopers is that even prior to that, I worked in the nonprofit world. I worked at a university. I was the chief of staff to the provost. And at some point, the provost said, you can't manage faculty because they have tenure. And I was very young, but I still thought... How that can't be, that people will only do what you want them to do because if they don't, you'll fire them. So with that in mind, I headed off to business school at Cornell. I wanted to like study people and organizations and why they did things in service of the organization or sadly not. 
But I got all turned around in business school because the focus in business school and status and prestige in business school and the cool kids in business school were all studying finance and accounting and strategy. So I moved myself to finance and accounting and strategy. I was one of sort of 20% women in my class. So there was definitely like a, a thing you had to prove yourself to the men. And I exited into PricewaterhouseCoopers in their so-called fast track to partner. I was five years to partner. And I thought my life was all set. Oh, this is great. My life is all set. I've got this, you know, profession. It's going to be really great. And, you know, it reminds me always of a Joseph Campbell quote. If you can see your path all the way through to the end, you are following someone else's path. Your path only becomes clear moment by moment as each foot hits the ground. And I realized wow, I saw my path all the way through to the end and this is not my path. And the the emblem of that, the manifestation of that was that I woke up one Sunday and I thought, I hope I get the flu so I don't have to go to work tomorrow. And 18 hours later, I was rushed to the emergency room with the flu. Important note, do not wish yourself to have the flu. It's actually really bad. I was down for the count for two weeks and I just thought, no mas, I can't take it anymore. I'd rather be a waitress, like get me out of here. So I had to seek out what I wanted to do. And the only thing I had was the music in my head. And the music in my head said to make a difference, to make a difference, that the work of my hands matters. So I kind of was figuring out what that looked like. I found myself at this conference, the Body and Soul Conference, not a conference that I would typically attend. And in fact, I was volunteering. And at some point they said, now Cheryl Richardson, a coach, is going to speak to the volunteers And I thought, who is that? What's a coach? And can I leave? But I did not leave. And I was totally inspired by Cheryl Richardson. And then I followed her around the whole conference. And I saw her in this room. And she said, with 500 people in the room, she was speaking. And she said, okay, who wants to stand up right now and get live coaching? I thought, what's going to happen now? And then someone stood up and she did live coaching for 20 minutes. And I thought, I could never do that. But I also thought at the same time, I could do that. I could do that. And then I realized my path is to become a coach. And then I did all the things I needed to do to become a coach. I got my own coach. I did coach training. I even got some leadership skills because I was super young to be an executive coach. I was still in my 20s. And and so I thought, okay, I'm going to get some leadership skills. And I joined the startup world way back in those days. And I was a CFO of one startup, the head of strategy of another startup. And when that all imploded, I'd already taken coach training I coached all my friends for free. I had my own coach and I thought, okay, I'm going to become a coach now. And on Friday, I said I was going to become a coach. And on Monday, I became a coach. Wow. What an incredible story. And speaking of Joseph Campbell, your hero's journey began by wishing you had the flu and getting the flu. I mean, that sounds like the epic, an epic start to that hero's journey. Well, for me, I mean, it was very telling I've always had a strong will, a very strong will, and that can cut both ways because, you know, on the one hand, who knows? I mean, I don't want to be magical thinking about why I got the flu, but the truth is that something was wrong and I could, I can tough it out. I can always tough it out and I can have with a lot of discipline and will get through things. And there was some confluence of, I hope I get the flu and then getting the flu that helped me get the message that I needed to get. That's what was so important. That is so powerful. And, you know, 
toughing it out is something that is a very delicate balance in the startup world. And, you know, today in our conversation, we'll talk a lot about startups because it's one of your core areas of expertise. And I think there's a lot of interesting coaches in how to work with founders. So I, I think this is going to be a really powerful episode for coaches that already work with founders or coaches that are interested in these kind of work. And toughing it out is one of those very tricky things as an entrepreneur. I'm both a coach and an entrepreneur, so it's we're gonna. I'm really excited for this conversation. When you're saying toughing up, I'm thinking sometimes you have to let go of the idea you're pursuing as an entrepreneur, and sometimes you really, really need to be very resilient. And those two get very muddy as you go because sometimes what you see is the entrepreneur can't let go of uh, either the company or the vision or can't get into a pivot because they don't want to latch away from that initial idea and dream they had it it is such a recurring theme and i love how you specialized in startups and your own journey began with a letting go of a path that you so clearly did you saw yourself doing well but something wasn't right that is so powerful for you to have experienced that and then work with people that we you know who's every day is very close to that, probably on a seriously day-to-day basis sometimes in a certain period. Yeah, it's a day-to-day basis, but also the thing about entrepreneurs and the truth about you, and then also me as a solopreneur, is that they leave either a steady job, a so-called safe steady job, mm-hmm. and or they opt out of a safe steady job. I mean, the truth is that anyone that I coach could get a safe study job. But a lot of them would also say, I'm not employable, right? Because they don't want to listen to somebody else. They want to do their own thing. They're incredibly self-motivated for all those reasons. So this part of the tension as well, like, you know, some entrepreneurs have no choice but to be an entrepreneur. And then they kind of throw themselves into that, whatever that is going to be, the journey, which is all the joys and all the sorrows and I talk about in my book from startup to grown up quite a bit, like, you know, you have a whole bunch of problems. Life is problems. And if you don't like these problems, you can go get a job at IBM and you get a whole set of different problems. And, you know, the entrepreneurs I coach, they always choose their problems rather than go get a job at IBM and choose those problems. Mm-hmm. But none of us get to get exempt from problems. A lot of what work is, is just solving problems. You just have to choose which ones you're better suited to be dealing with. And that you want to spend your life solving. Absolutely. I love the title of your book, From Startup to Grown Up. So how did the book come about uh, and how did you come up with that title? Well, the book came about because, of course, I am very blessed to have known Marshall Goldsmith for 17 years after knowing him for one year. So for 16 years, he is saying to me, right? You got to write a book. You got to write a book. You got to write a book. And you know, in our profession, we have to write a book. And, you know, for whatever reason, I had a lot of blocks from writing a book and I had a lot of false starts. And I think I had to do my own deep work, my own inner work to like say to myself, what is in the way of you writing this book? And what's it going to take for you to get out of your own way about writing the book? So that was one, you know, sort of journey. And let's say even like work stream to like deal with myself and my issues. And then the other work stream was known as the global pandemic, right? <laughs> which, right, which cut me off from travel, cut me off from like a whole bunch of other things, like all of us. Like another flu helping you do what you have to do. Yes, I didn't ask for this one, but it is another flu. Thank you. We all thank you for for those couple of years. Thank you. Yes, yes, you're very we, welcome. We had to endure that so that you could write your book. So I could write my book. You're welcome. You're welcome, everybody. I hope you got <laughs> done what you wanted to get done. I got done what I wanted to get done. I thought to myself, I am going to write this book. I'm going to write, like, I'm going to use this time. 
And then a very close colleague and friend, Martin Lindstrom, who knew I wanted to write a book for whatever reason, he th- he's a doll. And he wrote me an email and said, oh, we're stuck in Australia. You're probably stuck in New York. Don't waste this time. You're going to look back on this time and you're going to regret it if you wasted it. And I was like, another sign, like, I know, I know. So I just did the work. Like I got my book contract. I met the person who ultimately gave me my book contract. And, you know, I kind of, I knew I was ready when I just was like, I'm going to write this book no matter what. And then a lot of things kind of shifted to get me where I needed to be to write the book. And then, of course, I had the time and space to write the book. And so that's what I did. And then throughout, there were two. I mean, I I knew what I wanted to write. Then I structured it in this way of managing yourself, managing the team and managing the business. And that felt good to me. And then I kind of had a sense of what it was going to be. But then there were two things that happened. I still didn't have a title. And as I was talking to one of my clients, I I did what I always do, which is we finally get them ready. They're ready to have the conversation, the difficult conversation they want to have, they need to have. And he said, oh, but what I say? What should I say? And so I said, why don't you just say? And then I laid out the script that he should say. And he's like, you're furiously scribbling it down. And I thought, huh, it's really valuable when I give people scripts. And so right there and then I decided to put scripts into the back of the book, into the appendix, specific scripts for delicate conversations, difficult conversations. So that was kind of one surprising piece that happened in the middle. And one day I just woke up and someone said, what is the book about? And I said, you know, it's about the journey from startup to grown up. And that was it. Like that was the title. It was so clear. I love that. I love that story. And I love that you have a great story for all of those foundational pivots or moments in in your life. It is such a great name. And there's so much to unpack with a name like that. You know, how do you define what a startup is and what is the grown-up stage and, you know, what aspects of the startup stage that you want to maintain when you're at the grown-up stage and what aspects of grown being grown up are essential in the foundational stages and how do you work with founders and teams through those stages? I mean, there is so much to unpack here. I'm going to open it up to you. Where should we go with this conversation? Because like, I'm fascinated by the topic. When you talk to coaches about your book, what are some of the patterns that you've seen come up? Well, I think they're interested in the structure. And so it's like, you know, the first person you lead every day is the one who wakes up in your pajamas. And people forget that. And certainly founders and other leaders forget that. In fact, one of the CEOs I worked with a long time ago, she said, I wish they would all do their jobs so I could do my job. And I was like, actually, that is your job, right? <laughs> like to deal with them. <laughs> sorry to yeah, tell you. But- sorry that that was confusing to you. And it's like not understanding that and coming to terms with, you know, the need to deal with your own stuff. So like self-awareness is big for coaches, certainly, certainly mm-hmm. big for founders. And I think it's so significant to understand that what self-awareness really means. So it's like, and the one hand is like really getting in tune with what's going on with you, what's driving your moods, what's driving your quirks, what's driving your behavior, and then also really understanding what your triggers are. So when that person walks in the room, I, actually one one of the founders I worked with, still, they were still ever we were also back in the office in those days. He would say that somebody would always come in, he'd come to his office, he'd be settling in, 
and somebody would come in and start telling him stuff. And he'd say, before I even take my coat off, before I even take my coat off, like he was breaking <laughs> some federal law, right? That the guy was bugging him before he took his coat off. And I was like, you know, you could just say, hey, give me a minute to settle in. But rather than do that, he just got immediately triggered. Well, you have to be on to yourself about that, about what is triggering you. And like, is this really a problem or not really a problem? And dealing with other people's little behaviors. Then, of course, the other part of self-awareness, which is so important, is understanding that you are the leader. With founders, it's particularly important. So that means that your suggestions are orders. Your brainstorms are orders. Your inklings are orders. Your whispers are orders. And of course, your orders are orders. So everyone walks around and they talk about you, like you said this and you said that, and you were just like brainstorming or thinking about it. In fact, one of the stories I tell in my book is that I was working with this client in uh, Texas and they had their Christmas party, their holiday party down at the restaurant down the street. And it was great. And he said the next day, wow, that was a great Christmas party. If there was any, it could, it could only be more convenient if it was in the parking lot. Ha 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 ha. Okay. Next August, someone came to him and said, do you want a tent in the parking lot? The CEO said, what are you talking about? <laughs> right? He said <laughs> that you wanted the Christmas party this year in the parking lot. He said, no, I didn't say that. And I was just kidding. <laughs> right? And, and also, why did you think that? And no one even questioned it. They just went off and, and executed So, you know, all of those areas of self-awareness are so significant for all of us on our journey. In fact, when we talk about my title, From Startup to Grown Up, it's really the personal growth journey that founders have to go through to grow into leaders, but actually it's the personal growth journey that everyone goes through as they grow into leaders to understand your dynamics of the people around you, to understand yourself and your triggers, and to help you figure out how do you stay on track as you scale yourself. If you wouldn't have brought up Joseph Campbell, I would be thinking about it anyways in our conversation, because I think I can see that the hero's journey is like a foundational framework for for the way you think about life and journeys and obstacles and your awareness of that journey and when the obstacles appear to be able to make sense of them. And I, I love something you mentioned around, you know, it's like, oh, you know, like I have to... Have to deal with all these people. It's almost like if I didn't have to do that, then I could actually do my job. It's like, no, dude, your job is actually dealing with those people. So you can do what you think you're going to do once you clear them off. But they're the people that are helping you do that. And it seems so obvious when we're talking about it right now. But it's hard to see in the day-to-day grind, isn't it? Yes, it is hard to see in the day-to-day grind for all of us, for everybody. You've always been steeped in startups, which I think is a really interesting perspective that allows you to be wired to be successful working with entrepreneurs. For coaches that are, I think most coaches are more well-versed with kind of leadership executive coaching in the different ranks of a larger organization. So what are some of the things that a coach that is wanting to transition or suddenly has a client that works in a fast-paced, smaller company. I actually want to define what startup is, but if you start working with more of a startup, let's first define what a startup is. And then what are the things that a coach that's used to a larger organization has to be aware of when starting to work with a client or a set of clients in a smaller startup? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, first of all, a startup, the way I think about it, I typically tend to think about venture-backed startups, which means that they are positioned for scale, which means they're starting with something which is just a dream or a vision. At some point, that's going to catch fire and it's going to have exponential growth. That's the idea. The idea is that at some point, going to have exponential growth. So I guess, first of all, you're at some point going to have a lot of uncertainty and then you're going to have exponential growth. And there's going to be you know, back and forth between those all the time. So that's kind of the way I think about startup. I have coached in large public companies and I continue to coach in large public companies. So I really still understand very much those dynamics. And, you know, I spent 14 years coaching inside of EMC, which is a company in Boston, got bought by Dell five years ago. But what I loved about EMC is that First of all, it grew around me, even as I was coaching inside there and training and facilitating for 14 years. And I saw all the different ways that scale was, you know, working and not working. And, you know, I was really part of that from startup to growing up journey in many ways of EMC. So I guess I would say, coming back to your question, what do coaches have to be aware of? One of my colleagues just a few years ago said to me, he's an older gentleman, very established. And he said to me, I've started working with startups. I'm like, that's really great. Good for you. I don't think he quite knew my expertise in startups. And he said, I just (laughs) want to tell you, if you start working with startups, it's the wild west. I'm like, I I know, I'm aware. (laughs) (laughs) And what does that mean? What that means is it's kind of chaos. And what you have to do is chaos management. Because what it is, is things change all the time. Dramatic ups and downs happen. In fact, one thing about the founder that you have to realize is that the ups and downs of the journey don't just happen overall in a long period of time. They happen in a compressed period of times. In fact, on my podcast from Startup to Grown Up and with all my clients, all the founders make this point that I knew there'd be ups and downs on the journey, but I did not realize they would be in the span of 10 minutes, which totally makes sense because you're so happy that you just landed that customer. And now you have to have a very difficult conversation with one of your executives one of your executives quits, the one you can't live without, but you just raised the funding. So, you know, it's, or, and you suddenly have a massive product failure that actually turns into a good thing for some reason. So it's like all these things happen together and you as a founder have to navigate that. And you as a coach have to recognize that that's what you're signing up for in terms of those emotional ups and downs. So true. I think you can see my face when you're talking about that. You can relate, right? It is. I can 100% relate. I mean, it's just entrepreneurship is treacherous. It's hard. And and the highs are so high and the lows are so low. And they all happen in these cycles that are, I think, mental health and entrepreneurship. I'd say up and coming. But I think for the last maybe three, four, five years, we've seen an increase of focus on just like the mental toll that it takes. I mean, you have to learn not to get as excited when something amazing happens and to not be completely distraught when something terrible happens. It's because so if true. not, it's just this yo-yo. It's just, just, but then that also leads to a second order effects around, you know, like not even being able to celebrate your wins or getting stuck on those loss loss. I mean, it's emotional modulation is, is really important. And when you're a coach working with a founder, just that recognition that that landscape is different is very important. So I, I love that you're, that you're bringing that up. And as you're talking about that, I'm just kind of thinking about my own journey and, you know, it's like, I don't even think too much about the journey because it is treacherous, especially tech. I think technology companies are particularly 
difficult because technologies, these businesses are meant for at some point, you build this very difficult thing to build. And if you somehow find yourself to be successful, yes, that's the kind of business anyone would want to have. You can make money while you sleep and the profit margins are really high. But what you have to go through to get to that is so treacherous. It's treacherous. It's very challenging. I was going to say one more thing around my journey as a coach, an entrepreneur, is that as much as I know about coaching and how impactful it can be, for most of my career as an entrepreneur, I've had zero interest in working with a coach, which is it's actually shocking for me because I've had hundreds of coaching clients and more, you know, before I was like full on an entrepreneur. And I, I know the value of coaching and, you know, now I have a coach, I've had a coach in the past and I value it. But in so many instances, I've been like, I just don't have the bandwidth to be working on myself. And it's probably a mistake, but that's how I felt throughout the journey. wanted to share that with you and hear some of your thoughts around that feeling where you're like in the grind every day and self-development, even for someone like me. You know, I have a PhD specialized in coaching. I work with coaches. Everything we do is for coaches, for their clients. And I found myself completely overwhelmed and I didn't really even want to work with a coach. So explain that to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think you're, I would say you're not alone. It's not a question of like, I don't want to build, I don't want to work on myself now. It's a question of, I am on a track and I am going. And I don't want to look left and I don't want to look right. And I don't want to stop to decompartmentalize what I have successfully compartmentalized. And at some point, I probably do need to process and self-examine. But right now, that is not the time to do that because I am taking all my energy to build this business and give this the oxygen it needs. So I think that's what it's about. Like, I don't have the bandwidth and the emotional sort of wherewithal to unpack and process what I'm going through. And I will do that when I have a little more space or when I'm ready, when I'm ready, whatever that means. Does that resonate? It resonates like so much. And I think that's where you need to slow down. And I think another area of being an entrepreneur that you have to be really good at is pacing and understanding timing and allowing time to slow down. I think that's where meditation comes into place too. Allowing things to slow down because you accelerating and moving at the pace of your environment is not going to help you be successful. It's actually being able to ground yourself while everything's accelerating that allows you to actually be successful in that environment. But it's so easy for inertia to carry you with it. And it really takes a lot to stand against that inertia and say, no, like, let's stay grounded, let's stay focused. And that's where you can actually build that space where you can be successful. And a coach can 100% put you in that place. And it's that inertia that doesn't allow you to see that perhaps working with a coach would allow you to be more successful. (laughs) It's true. It's true. It's very circular in that way. That's so true. Yeah. So you work both with large organizations, you work with smaller ones. Like, how do you determine, like, who's going to be a good client? Because we've been talking about Marshall Goldsmith and coachability is it really powerful component of being a successful coach not everyone can be as selective with their clients you know as as coaches get started uh it's hard you know you want to pay the rent so you got to work with different people there may be better or worse fits for you but as you progress in your career hopefully you get to a stage where you can actually have more of a say in who you want to work with so you're at that stage so for you what looks like an exciting engagement like what really gets you when you meet someone you're like wow like i cannot wait to be their coach like what does that look like yeah first of all i want to talk about that first thing you said that like when you're early in your career you need to kind of work you don't have a lot of choice you have to work with people that's a Mm -hmm. good thing it exposes you to different people it pushes and tests your own judgments 
I think that it's important for people to realize that they might think, coaches might think, oh, that person's not coachable, or I'm not going to get along with that person, or I don't like that person. And then they're like, but I have to do it because of, you know, coaching and getting my reps in and getting money and whatever, whatever. And guess what? It turns out to be a good experience. I mean, how many times have you met someone that you didn't like at first, but then you grew to like them over time? I think it's a good personal development experience. It's also just good experience, like to see how do you do with different people? But then once I speak for myself, I am have the good fortune of being able to choose my clients. And I have a technique that I use, which is when I typically work with somebody, when I, when I meet somebody, I want to do a little piece of coaching with them right there and then. And my mandate is that I add value within 20 minutes. So that's my motto. I want to add value within 20 minutes. And I can do that by asking good questions, by bringing them along some path, by, you know, sort of helping them with a little nugget of something, of coaching. I call it a little nugget of coaching. We can't solve world peace, but we can sort of bring you a step forward towards something meaningful to you. But in that conversation, it's not just that I'm adding value. It's that I'm trying to assess how are we going to work together? Are we going to enjoy working together? Is this person committed to being stuck, which is annoying? Or is this person committed to moving forward, which is exciting? So those are the kinds of things I look for in the person. And then, of course, I'm looking at the business and I'm looking at like a sense of, does this person have what it takes to make it as an entrepreneur? And is this, do I think this business has something to offer? But even with that, you know, you, you think that you know if that business is going to make it or not, but you're a whole sort of like line of sight into what works and what doesn't work is so limited because like, I'll just speak for myself about Facebook. When Facebook came out, I'm like, literally who would ever do that? Like, why would you ever go on Facebook? Right. And then it turned out to be kind of a big deal. So don't ask me about whether or not a consumer product is going to make it because I'm different from other consumers. Where people still feel like that about Facebook these days. You know, most people, (laughs) why would you ever so like, I think we're all on Instagram or like most people actually, I don't know. There's a lot of people still on Facebook, but people like for like, you know, the older millennials like myself, yeah. I think we're, we left Facebook a long time ago. So that's funny. So it came full circle. We were the early adopters and now we're like, oh, no, no, no. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But the point is that like there's so many businesses you don't know anything about. I mean, one of the clients I work with is uh, they do machine health, which means they can predict when your machine is going to break and then fix it before it breaks. That's amazing. Love Something it. I spent literally zero time thinking about until I met them and started working with them. And the whole point of what they're doing is that you never think about it, even when you're using a product. Um, right. I love it. And you, you said something that was so David Peterson. And, you know, I think we're we're all still kind of dealing with the loss of David, who was the giant in, in our industry, adding value quickly. So 20 minutes to add value. That, I think, is something that we need to instill into every coach training program everywhere, because these ideas of the 16-minute session and like these kind of models of kind of how to walk through a session. I mean, there's a lot of value there, but there's nothing like actually adding value into having that front of mind. And I think you're very aware of it because you work with people whose time is super important, whether it's an executive large organization or a startup person. Adding value quickly is how you prove yourself because it's not like only your client needs to prove it to themselves to you. You also need to prove that you can add value. So let's unpack you know, what adding value in 20 minutes look like. Oh, sure. Well, the way I think about it is, we could do this right now, Alex, if you want to. What I do is I ask the person <laughs> I'm talking to and I say, great, is there something, a little nugget of something, something that's kind of bite-sized that would be meaningful for you if we could take a step forward on that? And you don't have to answer if you don't want yeah, to, but-, but you could think of something if you wanted to. A little coaching. As I always say, we cannot solve world hunger 
You know, it can't be like, what's the meaning of life? It can't be, how am I going to 10X my business or something? But it's like something that I'm thinking about in the back of my mind that I realized that I could use a little help with. I got it. Great. You know, see, I was kind of about to do opening up and reveal so many things about myself, but then I found something very, very easy that we can tackle to showcase adding value quickly. So one of the things that I'm working on is being better at prioritization. Oh, great. Why is that important? Because there's so many things coming at me all the time. And I think that one of the things that gives me peace of mind is having a clean inbox. And sometimes I pursue the clean inbox versus actually saying, well, it's better to have 20 things lingering there that are not as important and tackle the things that are very important. So I usually, my way of operating is like, if something important comes up, I drop things, I go that, I solve it, and then I move on. But there's a lot of important things that are not urgent Then in my world get lost in the shuffle of just trying to clean my inbox. So I'm really trying to find a good, cadence and awareness of kind of how to tackle. Great. So what have you tried already? I've realized that I'm really not super receptive to feedback. I think my coach is is, uh, is happy with me in many ways. And in other ways, you know, like, you know, I think he tries to kind of say like, okay, let's, let's close your email for three or four hours while you're working. And I'm like, oh, that sounds amazing. I haven't done it once. I haven't even tried, which is, I don't love that I'm sharing all these, you know, the ins and outs because, you know, we're all about coaching right. here, but sometimes, and that means you have to be open to the coaching advice and, or coaching homework that my coach assigns. But I have to admit when it comes to closing my mail, my email, I've just really struggled. Also. Like I haven't been able to actually, I know it could create value, but my operating structure is to continuously be monitoring my email because there's important things that come through. And and I start getting anxious if I don't see what's in the email. So I, I really need to actually follow through. Well, I'm curious, do you have a list of the things that you should be doing that, you know, sort of your priorities that are important, but not urgent that you know you would like, want to work on? My Myers-Briggs is, I'm an ENFB, uh, right? So I think intuition is very important. And my intuition, <laughs> I, will, I, will, dance. I, I will take that as a, as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're creative. Yeah. Yeah, is that, uh, yeah. I don't know how I was able to kind of like focus on a dissertation and everything. But, you know, for me, that kind of work and get it working outside of your preference is very important because it really rounds you out. So, you know, it's a bit of self-awareness, whereas like there's not a lot of ENFPs with PhDs. Right. And I think it's important. So that's kind of why I pursued that path. But going back, you know, my intuition is I love data and I love working with my team to make data-informed decisions. But my core decision-making apparatus is focused on intuition. So I don't have necessarily a list of priorities that then I go and balance my time against. I think it's more like a flowing kind of state where like, I intuitively know in the back of my mind what are some of the things that I need to get done and focus on that. But I do think that having more of a list that I can follow through and then really every week go and check, hey, start maybe every day and then maybe every week after, you know, I'm a coach, so I (laughs) assign people tasks. So so I can see myself every day checking in, then moving it to every month and then every week and then every month and, and starting to have a sense of how much time I'm spending against the top objectives would be helpful for me. Okay. What you said was a couple of things. What you said was, I'm an ENFP. So that, Mm -hmm. right? And don't deal with that. (laughs) Exactly. So take that coach. Okay. I'm like, oh, I accept. I accept your ENFP-ness. And also 
you have this sort of intuition in the back of your mind about like, and you have it like a flow, a, a desire to be in flow and you want to monitor your email and in the back of your mind, you've got these things and you kind of make progress probably in sprints. And by the way, there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that as long as it's working. And probably all the things about that that are working are working. And I might suggest you to hold, you obviously understand your outside of your preferred modes and then also the notion of handedness, right? Are you right-handed or left-handed? Right. Yeah. So you have a good expertise with your right hand. And then sometimes it'd be helpful to have your left hand be able to be equally dexterous. So I love that you're like, I got my priorities in my background and I should close my email, but I'm not right. But then be really interesting and maybe make it a game that you do a 30 minute sprint on a top priority at a certain time once or twice or three times a week. But the only way you can do that is if actually you have a list of priorities. And by the way, that could even be something you could do maybe with your team, as in, let's make up a list of things which are important but not urgent. Let's brainstorm bad ideas which are important but not urgent. I'll go first. Duh. And then actually you kind of crowdsource this list and then they come up with 50 ideas and you're clear that only like 10 are going to really make your priority list. Fantastic. You've just done it. We've given you no homework. You've just done it with your team. It's been fun and connecting. And now you have a list. And now if you choose to make something a game in accordance with your style, you might be able to try that as a way to shake things up and how you're doing it. What are your thoughts about this? I love it. I think that would be helpful. And I love how you build it into the way in which I operate. So it just really doesn't create too much friction. So I love it. I love how we just showcase these value creation very quickly in a few minutes. Amazing. You know, we got like deep into a specific area that's important to me and you assign some to-dos that are aligned with my flow of work. I so love kudos, kudos for showcasing value in yes, a few minutes. I love yes. it. Yes, Alex, I'd be no kind of a coach if I didn't now say, fantastic. What specifically are you going to do next? And how are we both going to know that it's been done? Well, you know, I also don't want to spend too much no, no. time on our podcast today talking about me because, you know, you're my guest. I just want to like tie the bow. So like, what's the, what? I know you want to make me accountable. I know. Did you see how I was trying to say, well, all the exercise is over. <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, <laughs> That's, right. That's right. Yeah. A master of the flexion, <laughs> but with a master coach, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work as well as it usually <laughs> does. But, uh, <laughs> so the dark arts of the flexion, <laughs> actually, my coach is going to be happy about this because he's also giving pretty actionable to give him credit. I think he's done something similar and I've just haven't gone ahead and implemented it. So what I'm going to do is next time I check in with my coach, I'm going to reconnect on the prioritization aspect. I'm going to tell him he has to listen to this episode because he's going to love it because he, I, I know he loves your work. And what I'm going to do is I'm actually about to go on to, we're, we're doing a team retreat and we're doing all these really cool things. So when I'm there, I'm going to kind of think about how I want to start focusing my on my prioritization. And I'm going to kind of bring some members of my team into the fold while we're in the retreat. And when I come back from the retreat, then, you know, I'll work with them to be able to identify some of the key things that we should be focusing on and spend more time on that. And I'll also try to close my email for one hour a day to get started. I love it. I'll take it. 
I'll take it. Okay. Amazing. I love it. Thank you. Well, I'm glad we showcased values so quickly. So we're kind of like towards the latter stages of our episodes today. I can't believe it because it would win by so fast. So as we kind of think about kind of where the world is today and where coaching is headed, what are some of your, your thoughts around like the future of coaching? We've been asking these in a lot of panels that we do and it keeps coming up. And a lot of my, my talks for years have been on the future of coaching. But now I think like everyone's just talking about the future of coaching and AI. Like we'd love to get your take on, you know, it's an open-ended question around technology, AI, the future of coaching, business models around coaching. I think coaches would really appreciate your insights. Yeah. The future of coaching is technology enabled. There's no question about that. And at your peril, ignore that and get rid of your AOL email address. I'm serious. And you've got mail. Yeah. Stop. Right. And, and also (laughs) learn the technologies you're afraid of, including chat GPT, including different video conferencing, recordings, you know, Canva. So that's number one. The future of coaching is short and actionable. No longer this sort of, even in our discussion here, question, 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 what do you think you should do? I definitely do that regularly, but I would just say the future of coaching, I think, gets people to where they need to be quicker and doesn't force people to constantly go through this sort of questioning journey, which I think a lot of dogmatic coaches from the past were religious about. And I think the future of coaching is really about the topics that are the future of work, agility, dealing in a hybrid environment, constantly, you know, sort of the, the, the chronic stress of change. The future of coaching deals with those important workforce force topics. How do we balance like coaching for performance, which is very much in line with kind of what we're talking about and coaching for development, which maybe moves at a different pace and it asks deeper questions that perhaps are less actionable immediately, but in the long term can provide an opening for development, both personally and organizationally. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if that's for us, the coaches to really decide is for the coachee to decide where are they on the spectrum of wanting coaching for development. And sometimes you start with coaching performance, which kind of most people want, and then they come to their own journey of the coaching for development. And I think that we need to offer, we as coaches need to offer invitations for that all the time and linger in topics when they have, you know, resonance for people. And really the whole YPO model and the Vistage model is all about like authenticity and like being honest with each other and going deep and being vulnerable. There is a space for that, but you have to earn the right as a coach for that trust. And again, in the context of it, providing value overall, I think there's a dance there. I love that. And bringing it to the client, meeting them where they are listening to them, knowing when to do what they want to do and learn knowing also when what they want is maybe not what right. they say. 100%. Oh, I love coaching. And just having conversations like these makes me realize how much I love it. And we even did a coach showcase demo today, which we've never done in the podcast. That was awesome. Amazing. So happy we did that. I love it. I feel like we could keep talking for hours, but we'll have you in the podcast when we start doing round two of the same guest, which we'll do probably sometime next year. I would love to kind of put you up there as one of the first ones that comes back because there's so many things that we can talk about. I would really, I can't believe we've been talking for almost 50 minutes. It just went by so fast. You're so delightful. Love the work that you do. Love the clarity that you bring and clarity and simplicity with depth. And those things are hard to do and it's all over your work and I love it. And I really enjoy the conversation. So thank you so much for joining us today. 
Thank you so much, Alex. I love the conversation too. Thank you ever so much for your kind words. I'll talk to you soon. (laughs) 